Hello, everyone, and welcome to I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Stone, a senior research analyst at I4CP, the Institute for Corporate Productivity, the leading authority on next practices in human capital. The Next Practices Weekly podcast is one of the ways we share those practices with you by interviewing top HR leaders and facilitating discussion with the broader HR community on what high-performance organizations are doing differently with their people practices. From HR strategy to talent acquisition, learning and development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and much more. In early September of 2022, Kevin Oakes, I4CP's CEO and co-founder, joined me for a conversation with Nina McQueen, VP of Global Talent, Benefits, and Employee Experience at LinkedIn. We discussed their approach to hybrid and flexible work practices, including some of LinkedIn's specific programs, such as Lift Up and Reconnect. Without any further ado then, let's get to today's special guest and the conversation. I'm going to turn it over to you, Kevin, uh, to introduce Nina. Yeah, well, one company that's uh, been a constant presence at our conference over the years has been LinkedIn. So we're thrilled to have Nina McQueen here with us. Uh, she, as you can see on the screen, is the VP of Global Talent, Benefits, and Employee Experience, which I think we're probably going to focus a lot on that last uh, that last part of your title there, Nina. Nina, welcome. We're thrilled that you joined us today. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Nina, you've um, you've been at LinkedIn for a while. It's been almost a decade, and I love all the different roles that you've had at LinkedIn. You've had quite a, a wide variety of uh, fantastic leadership roles uh, in human capital. Earlier in your career, you were at Yahoo uh, for a couple times. You were at Facebook. So tell us a little bit about your career within HR and then, you know, more specifically what you're doing at LinkedIn. Sure. Happy to. So I've spent most of my career in Silicon Valley tech. Um, I'm, as you mentioned, I've led a lot of different areas of HR, but employee benefits has sort of become my sweet spot over the years. However, back in the 90s when I was at Yahoo, that's when my focus first started to shift towards the employee experience, but it was very different than it is today. Back back in those days, it was a lot around the perks, things like foosball, all day long lattes, fancy cafeterias, Mm -hmm. and we used to use perks to attract young talent. And I went on to do that at a, a few tech companies, always having these more bigger and more elaborate perks over time. But then about a little over nine years ago, I came to LinkedIn. And while they also wanted to have cool perks, it just wasn't about the perks. And it was here at LinkedIn when I really started to understand the critical role the company culture plays in creating an exceptional employee experience. So perks don't inspire you to do your best work. And I think that the greatest factor in retaining great talent starts and stops with company culture and the people who lead others. So I have worn a lot of hats at LinkedIn. I've led diversity, inclusion, and belonging, engagement, global mobility. Um, I was even the interim chief people officer back in 2020 when the pandemic hit. Um, Today, I lead benefits, wellness, and then a team we call the employee experience team, which also runs a lot of the programs that help sort of brings our culture to life. So don't don't undersell the the perks there at LinkedIn. I, I've been <laughs> visiting LinkedIn for uh, many many years, and I remember for a long time I felt like you had the best corporate cafeteria of any company I would visit. Uh, so that that was a that was a good perk. I think it actually was officially at some point called <laughs> that the best cafeteria in Silicon Valley. We had some we have some amazing chefs. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm sure uh, over the last couple of years, there's, you know, things have changed for all of us, of course, and certainly at LinkedIn, you've undergone a number of changes. I'd love to hear a little bit about how the employee experience has changed during that time. And I know you want to tell us a little bit about your Lift Up program, which is a really cool program and love to spend a little bit of time on that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure like many people on the call, and, and by the way, I've kind of been scrolling through who's attending, and I see a ton of people that I've known through the years, Chuck, Amy, just a ton of you. It's it's great to be here with you guys. Um, but if like everybody, you know, back in March of 2020, we all just one day got up from our desks and went home, completely unexpected, and we were unsure of everything happening around us. And like a lot of HR professionals, you know, a great concern was how our employees were doing. So Uh, It was at that time that I sent out a company-wide survey to everybody around the world with a simple question. I asked, how are you? And what I received back was 
thousands of comments with themes around feelings of burnout, isolation and depression, you know, stress with family responsibilities, and then of course, just missing social interactions. And so it was that feedback that helped us focus our efforts into a, an initiative that we call Lift Up. Um, and it was designed to provide managers and employees with tools and resources that they needed to support their well-being and productivity during what ended up being a very long extended work from home period. So, um, and part of that was, you know, the heads were hung low, it was dark times. So we wanted to also find ways to lift their spirits by creating some surprise and delight moments along the way. And these included things like we hosted um, we, a virtual music festival featuring our own employee talent, along with some celebrity headliners to join in. And then we replaced what used to be holiday parties with what we called our silver linings event. This is when employees submitted videos around sort of their high points or their happy moments throughout the year, focusing on things like weddings and babies and maybe just learning how to make, I don't know, sourdough bread. Um, and then, as you see on the screen here, to keep the drumbeat going, I actually still speak at the company All Hands every two weeks, and this is where I announce what's coming up next. And so we use this graphic of a balloon that you see on the screen um, with the ever-growing string that was serving as like a timeline. So what this did is, this, and this is just one year, we created one of these for each year. Um, this allowed employees to be reminded about what we'd already launched. So whatever we launched, we kept on the timeline. Then this was our chance to announce whatever was coming up next. And then that dotted line off to the right lets them know that there's more to come. And then sort of this idea around surprise and delight, this unexpected nature of it, it created a lot of buzz among, amongst employees. And they began to look forward to the lift up segment at our company, All Hands. And just, just to be clear, you know, this was never intended to go on forever. I think when we launched it, we thought it would be through the end of 2020. And of course, then it went into 2021 with the plan to wrap up in December of last year. And then Omicron happened. <laughs> and so we haven't quite wrapped it up yet. But the idea is, is that um, this will eventually come to an end. I think if there's one thing we've all learned, it's not to put deadlines on things during this last two and a half years. Those deadlines just keep getting extended and extended. I, um, you know, I, I noticed, so you have uh, uh, the Silver Lining Show hosted by Mindy Kaling on here. And I know that she's doing, uh, you know, some more specific work with LinkedIn. I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, your work with Mindy. I don't have a lot to add on that side of the business. I'm really looking, we brought her in as a, as employee experience. We brought in Jason Sudeikis, John Legend, um, Matthew McConaughey came and talked about his Green Lights book, which was all about how to see the positive in things. So I don't have a lot more to say around India and our business association. No, but you just made all of us very, very jealous uh, in the process. <laughs> yeah, I uh, when you first mentioned when we had a, a prep call uh, of this visual, um, for one thing, I, I was intrigued by it because I, I love the idea that you're keeping in front of employees all the things that you've been doing. It doesn't hurt to recommunicate and remind them uh, of all of these things. But also the trailing dot, dot, dot to the right to show that this isn't ending. It's going to continue. Um, I didn't realize some of the celebrity names that would be showing up here. Um, but I also like the fact that you're including on here some of the, we could say a little, you know, less less thrilling things, but I think very important, the no meeting days. I'm curious what the reaction from employees have been to that. I see you're not just doing it once, but it looks like once every month. Um, what, what's been the reaction for those? So before I tell you that, I do want to just share one thing. So, you know, when, when and I'm just talking to my peers out there who are looking at putting in programs like this, you know, when, when we first started to look at this, what we found was happening when the pandemic first hit was that there were a whole lot of teams who wanted to jump in and help. So whether it is finance thinking about how to fund setting up your home office, or whether it was learning and development going virtual, or our wellness team going virtual, um, there were just tons of teams who wanted to jump in and help and, and do things for our employees. But if we each did those individually, it, it didn't tie together. And so that's when, when we launched Lift Up, we brought all these teams together to collaborate so that we were sharing it under the name of Lift Up. So it did become bigger and bigger and bigger rather than it operating in a silo like we know so often happens. Um, so on the no meeting days, uh, when we were looking at all these aspects, so you know, like I said, family responsibilities, burnout, keeping burnout at bay, um, we knew that we wanted to create an opportunity for employees to catch their breath. 
And we experimented with this, you know, it's, it's a live and learn. So we experimented with this with our first no meeting day and just said, hey, look, you know, this is a day when um, it doesn't mean business doesn't keep going. So if you are talking to clients, that still happens. If you're interviewing candidates, that still happens. But it's a day where we give each other a break to give each other a break internally at the company. So it's a day I don't have to be on camera. It's a day when I can catch up on all my email. It's a day when I have a chance to like think just to, to give it, to give me a chance to dream big. And so we experimented with it and we did it one time, overwhelming response. We then sprinkled it a couple more times throughout the year and it just kept getting all this buzz. And this is a no cost um, item for employers. It doesn't cost you any money to have a no meeting day. Uh, people ended up being very productive, but it just gave them that break. And so we made the decision end of last year that we were going to make this a part of our culture going forward. So it's the first Friday of every month is a no meeting day. And it's probably one of my favorite days. <laughs> <laughs> so tomorrow's a no meeting day then. Tomorrow. On, so on another note, so again, um, mental health and, and well-being has been a huge focus. And I don't know about other employers out there, but I know at LinkedIn, you know, when we went work from home, we didn't have real good starts and stops to our day. You know, you kind of roll out of bed, you start working and just it just there were no breaks in between. We didn't um, commute. We didn't walk to conference rooms. We didn't fight for conference rooms. And so you're on all the time. And so we knew people really needed a break. So another thing we did was sprinkle some well-being days throughout the year. Um, in, um, in 2021, before the vaccination was available, we actually did a whole week off. We called it rest up week. But since the vaccine and this last year, we just sprinkled a few days through and tomorrow is our last day. And so when I looked at it globally, we picked five days. I put up all the holidays of every country around the world. And I tried to look for opportunities where maybe they had a, a, a bank holiday on a Monday so we could give a Friday allowing people a four day week weekend. And this is our last one tomorrow. Um, and the US and Canada are benefiting from a four day weekend. That's fantastic. And I, I wish we had those bank holidays uh, in the US. I, I, I miss those <laughs> when I used to do work a lot in Europe. Well, let's um, let's shift gears a little bit to uh, the subject of our uh, of our webinar here around hybrid and flexible work, and would love to just hear what LinkedIn's approach has been to that, Nina, uh, and then you know what went into developing it. So, just to start out with the approach. Okay, so you know our approach is um, to hybrid and remote work is we've just centered everything on trust and care. So we trust each other to do our best work where it works best for us and our teams. Um, we do expect more of us will be remote than we were say pre-COVID, um, but we're gonna continue to create amazing office experiences for everyday work and the times when we do come together. And we're just gonna continue to just learn and adjust as we go. So is there is there a, a policy within the organization then around return to office or is it left up to managers and employees? Well, so, you know, everything we've been doing has been trial and error. Um, yeah. You know, early on, there were there were some companies who made some bold statements that they were going to be fully remote workforce. And and while that worked for them, we just felt we needed to take more of a wait and see approach. So I'm sure people can relate that we, and you said this earlier, that we thought we were going to return to the office several times over the last couple of years, but inevitably ended up with delay after delay. So what we decided to do was just to follow local guidance, and we began opening up our offices well over a year ago. But most of those who were early returnees, they were returning um, for reasons why they wanted to be in the office, which varied. And it, it could have been because they didn't have a great workspace at home, or maybe they had roommates, or perhaps... They needed to collaborate in person. They just missed the, the, the cafe. Um, but when we began to think about hybrid, um, we really debated whether or not we were going to dictate the number of days that you would need to be in the office. That definitely was probably some early thinking. But over time, we've evolved that again. And um, part of that was better defining for us, what does it mean to be remote versus what does it mean to be hybrid? And you know, it's about how we work. So those of us who are hybrid, we live within a reasonable distance to commute to the company, to the office. We work from home when we want, and we come into the office when there's important work for us to do together. Um, but the specific amount of time teams spend in person together probably differs from team to team. 
and can change, you know, over time. And some hybrid employees might be in the office every single day. So that that is what a hybrid is. It's it's anything. But then for those who choose to be fully remote, they will likely only visit LinkedIn offices for important meetings and events. And it's their home office that becomes their primary place of work. Um, and, and we're going to try and support remote wherever possible, but there's a number of considerations. So employees will work with their manager to ensure that um, they and their team are able to do their best work. Nina, uh, one of the things we always like to find out from, from companies is how they've shifted how they listen to their employees during these past two and a half years. There's been an explosion of that, so much so that there's new new vendors and new new tool providers that are hawking their their platforms for this kind of thing, or or at least new features. Um, what was the process when you've said when we've thought about hybrid and 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 our plans for the return to office and so on? Um, what what role? What maybe increased role? Like in terms of frequency of surveying and and maybe focus groups or whatnot. How, how did you go about that? Listening to what employees wanted. Yeah, that's great. That's a, that's a great question. So probably a few different things. Um, we we had prior to the pandemic moved to a quarterly EVS employee voice survey is what we call it. Um, you know, prior to that, we probably did it once a year, and it was probably like I don't know sixty questions. Um, so before that, we did move to the quarterly. We keep it around 12 to 15 questions. And some of those questions repeat every quarter, like how happy are you working at LinkedIn? And then others would be more relevant to what's happening. But we've definitely had a shift in what we're asking um, around how people work, when they come in. Um, are they you know, making certain decisions? Does it matter whether they're remote? Do they make it better? You know, what does the team collaboration look like? So we have, and it's been quarterly, we've, we've been asking these questions over and over and over, um, trying to find those patterns, trying to look at data. We also do pulse surveys occasionally, but we also have a group called uh, the Trusted Advisors. Um, we started this during the pandemic, which is a group of employees who represent all locations, uh, levels in the organization, different teams around the organization. And we use them as a sounding board. As we start to come up with ideas, we bounce it off of them and get their feedback. And again, they are everything from an entry level employee to a vice president. Um, and so we can get that voice across. Um, and, and then we just you know do a lot of focus groups with people managers, you know, the executive team, it's really across all kinds of things that we try to gather this data. And then of course, we we look at data like um, not only how uh, people are feeling about it, but what are performance levels looking like, what are high, what's, what's happening with hiring um, and patterns of coming in and out of the office and then how people are being productive. I'm glad you mentioned the the looking at performance levels. Mervin in the chat asked, you know, are you measuring productivity with these these changes? You know, the difference between maybe folks in the office full time versus remote versus hybrid. Uh, so it sounds like you are looking at those kind of of numbers as as you proceed here. Yeah, it's it's um it's not an easy thing to do. So I'm sure. Um, I'm sure a lot of you, you know, recognize that it's it's very hard to do to measure productivity. It's a little easier to measure it, like say in a sales team, because you can kind of really look at some numbers and figures and data. But when you're looking at other teams, it's it's hard to do. So um, overall performance has been great. Our you know, we from what our data tells us, our employees are engaged. They're generally good well-being. That we've got high retention, um, productivity, and flexibility is something that they appreciate. Um, they're figuring out new ways to connect. They're figuring out new ways to be productive. Uh, they come into the office, like I said, for different reasons at different times. Um, and I think if anything, what it's told us is the future is not a one size fits all. Mm. And Nina, a couple of times you've, you've talked about the global reach that you have um, at, at LinkedIn and employees around the globe. What differences are you seeing uh, in different regions of, of uh, the world? From a perspective of of return to office and just uh, really how people are are embracing this new world of work. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting one because again, going back a couple of years when the pandemic hit, uh, there was a lot of people who wanted to go home from wherever they were. Um, Maybe it's to go home with me with family. Maybe it's they wanted to take care of somebody. But of course, there's a lot of complication with 
moving to a new country where we maybe don't have an entity, we don't have taxes set up, we, you know, there's consequences to this. There's limited time that you can be there. There's work authorizations. So that has been hugely challenging. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've done our best to accommodate uh, right now, if people do want to work remote, the requirement is that they go someplace that we already have an entity, because that certainly helps a lot. Um, so we are seeing a little bit more dispersed, maybe on the international side, you know, because I mean, if you're working in Dublin, you could be, there's people from so many different countries that maybe want to go home. In the sure. U.S., we are seeing people um, go remote to different remote to different locations, but I think where it really benefits us is in the ability to hire diversity, because there's a whole lot of people who can't, who don't want to or can't afford to live in San Francisco. Right. And that is no longer a barrier. I mean, we can hire people from anywhere across the United States. It's much easier in the United States, obviously. And so that's, that's removed a barrier and, and really kind of opened up our hiring pool um, much broader than it was before. Yeah, I've had this discussion with our, uh, uh, you know, some members of our chief diversity officer board and other folks in the DNI community. I'm, I'm a little surprised there's not a little bit more pushback on companies that are having all employees return to office and not accepting any remote or hybrid work from the DNI community because it, it, it seems to me it's just uh, making it a heck of a lot easier to have a more diverse workforce when you, you know you do accept remote workers. You know, I think it also depends on what the industry is that the employer is working in. So like I said, you know, some made bold statements, we're going to be all work from home. And that might be really conducive to the business environment they're in. We've heard others say, everybody back to the office. You know, it's, it's not for me to say why that works for them or doesn't work for them. For us, mm -hmm. um, I think that trust and care is something we've really anchored on. And um, trusting people to do their best where, the, where, you know, wherever that might be. And, but it's evolving. We don't have all the answers. This is no, this is nothing any of us had a roadmap for. Um, we're all learning, experimenting and, you know, keeping that growth mindset. Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced that when we look back on this time period, five years from now, we'll just kind of chuckle at our naivete around some of these issues. Well, um, can, can I just add, so um, kind of just going back in time, prior to the pandemic, maybe a couple of years before that, we all, I mean, we at LinkedIn started talking about what does remote look like? And, you know, we all have technology. We all should be able to enable remote working. And it would always be sort of that we should look at that. And it, and it would get deprioritized because of other, you know, things happening in the organization. But we, but when we did talk about it, we put these barriers in front of it. You had to be a high performer. We would test it out for six months. You would have to come to the office for so often. All these people would have to approve it. You'd have to be at a certain level. Like we, we created a ton of barriers for people being able to work remote. And then <laughs> we yeah. all did. And now we realize that that was, so, you know, I think it's absolutely fascinating how the world's evolving. You know, uh, a uh, question or just a conversation I struggle with a little bit is when we talk about what's best for the workforce, we're often talking about doing what's right personally for the individual. And we've all learned that, you know, there's a number of different uh, caregivers um, that are in our workforce that we didn't realize. People have different uh, situations and managers are encouraged to do what's right for the individual. Yet that flies in the face of fairness and equity um, in some cases, right? Where you're trying to make sure you treat everybody the same. I'm just curious how you've you know wrestled with that, Nina, and, and tried to handle that at LinkedIn. It's tough, you know, and I mean, I think this plays out in other areas, even than just hybrid and 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 flex and remote. So I mean, even like in my benefits world. Um, we've made the decision to take an egalitarian approach in each country that we're in, um, meaning that whether you're an entry-level employee or the most senior person there, you get the same benefits. But we also then try to and have put in a lot of flexibility around personalization. So another example of that would be we have this thing called Perk Up, which is a perks allowance. In the U.S., it's $2,000, which an employee can use for student loans, childcare, um, financial planning, housekeeping, tax prep, all kinds of things. Everybody gets the same amount, so that's where we're consistent, but then what you choose to use it for is where the personalization comes in. And we have lots of examples of that throughout the company. When it comes to hybrid and managers, you know, I think managers are the ones who probably struggle the most. Um, we have uh, tried to support our managers in as, as many ways as possible. 
um, role modeling, showing examples. Uh, one thing that we did early on in the pandemic was to create a people leaders meeting every month. We have a 60 minute meeting that um, is really focused on people managers and it talks about all kinds of things related. It's finance and budgeting, it's you know, um, uh, learning and development, it is um, benefits, it's flex works. It's this opportunity where we present to them for a short period of time and then open it up to questions and try to answer their questions. And lots of times they raise things maybe we haven't thought about. And so um, we, we meet with them, we're trying to, trying to answer those questions and give them the support that they need. But we've also then created some workshops like managing a hybrid workforce or managing a remote workforce. Um, you know, but again, a lot of it is trial and error, and it's really just trying to give managers the confidence that they need to see how their team works best. Again, there's some teams, maybe it's um, site reliability engineers that need to be on site or, you know, data center people, um, and there's others that don't. And so it's really what's conducive to that team and that leader. Nina, I appreciate you uh, you going to the, the question of managers and how you've been supporting them. We had both Anahit, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and Lorraine in the chat asked exactly that question. So thanks for oh. already <laughs> chiming in on, on how you've been supporting managers. Your your thoughts there were around the synchronous sort of workshops and sessions you've had. Um, uh, some other folks we've talked to have also done a lot in, in creating sort of um, performance support materials for managers and leaders, how to have certain conversations, how to, uh, you know, maybe courses on virtual train or virtual, you know, leadership, leading a virtual team, things like that, or just documentation uh, around uh, the, the constantly shifting policies. What have you done that more on the, the asynchronous or content side to support managers? So we've had a, a lot of workshops, um, you know, with, as we're building these things out for, for managers and for um, employees, I mean, it really is helping, you know, and again, during the pandemic, it was a lot more around how we help with burnout, you know, keep calm and lead on um, uh, and, and courses around just recognizing what's happening with employees and how to help them work best. But I, I, there's one thing I want to say, which is every time I'm at a people leaders meeting, which I, I speak at every month, I, I think that managers are always coming from the, the perspective of themselves as well. So as much as we're asking managers to make these decisions and to have these trade-offs and to have these important conversations, they're employees too. And they um, are just as unsure about what they should be doing as we all are. So there's just, there's just so much trial and error going on here. Um, we're just kind of working through it together. Yeah, to totally agree with that sentiment. I'm glad you said that, Nina, because I've sensed that in a lot of organizations where managers are just in a really tough time period here trying to figure this out along with the organization. Yeah, they, well, I mean, they're, they're trying to figure out productivity. They're trying to figure out how to collaborate. They're trying to figure out how to do team building, how to do one-on-ones in a completely new way of working. Yeah. Well, the uh, the chat has been pretty active in um, uh, in addition to just raving fans of you um, that we have in the chat, <laughs> and uh, you know, there's some very nice comments about you. You should read the chat uh, afterwards. I do want to. I'll bring off mute uh, John Boudreau. So John is uh, a board member here at I4CP. We've worked with him for many many years. He's a thought leader, and he's been pretty active in chat. John, do you want to, you've had a couple of questions that you've posed. Do you want to uh, come off mute and ask those of Nina live? <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Hi, John. Hi, Nina. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. <laughs> this is uh, unexpected. I'm, I'm not going to come on video, you know. Um, so yeah, I'm smiling like crazy. <laughs> so I guess that I had... Um, Two questions, uh, and I'll just put them out there. Nina, you can do one or the other or both. Kevin, I'm just so touched that you gave me this platform. So one of them is um, when I let's see how to put it. So I'll just be a little edgy, Nina, if I can. Okay. So when we, so I, I think what you're doing looks a lot to me like agile development of work, like you might do with software or a product, where you're going to put it out there, you're going to hear from folks. You're going to systematically prioritize the elements where you should be experimenting. You're going to have good rules for the elements where you're not, you know, product features that, you know, I might say, I, I want this thing to be lime green. And you say to me, thank you, John, you're the only one that thinks that. And so sorry, you know, something like that. And, and so I'm seeing, you know, focus group parallels, 
that kind of thing in what you're saying. And then here's the edgy part. And then I hear trial and error, mm -hmm. which sounds a little more chaotic to me <laughs> than agile experimentation. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah, it's and I wonder if, five words. <laughs> well, it's not, yeah, I, I mean, uh, with deep respect and complete admiration for what you're doing, and I'm sure you know more about it than I do, you know yeah. what I mean? But I wonder if you might talk to that, you know, is it chaotic trial and error and, you know, or, you know, we just see what people want to do, or is it closer to we're tracking this and we're systematically using what we learn to go back and do it like product or software? Well, I can't just, I can't define that it's like product or software because that's not my area of specialty. What I will tell you is that we set up a team called the Flex Team. We now have a team who is dedicated to focusing on this. Uh, this team consists of really the, the team that was starting out during that pandemic as we were returning back to the office, looking at what was happening with, um, you know, local uh, um, government uh, suggestions around how to return to the office wow. and what that looks like. So it started off with them. It also includes our global mobility team now because of the fact that people were working from another country and we were moving around the area. So we bring these two teams together and they work very closely with partners all around outside of LinkedIn. We are They're doing research, they're looking at our data. It is a very thoughtful nice. process they go through. It's just that there's no roadmap. And so probably it's my choice of words more than me not giving those people the credit for the amount of dedication and thoughtfulness that they're putting into it, but they then do seek that feedback. They bounce this off of like our trusted advisors, our leadership team, um, managers, our people managers um, to see, you know, th th we go in one direction, but then if there's something that does isn't working, we pause and we think about it and we, we revisit it. So yeah. I think that we've said, okay, we are leading with trust and care. That is that is where we're starting from that point of. Um, but anything can shift. Collaboration tools, how, how are those working? We do have challenges. I know managers have challenges. Let's say they want to bring their team together, but they've got a team member in Bangalore and one in London. That's not new. That was there before, but now we have even more people dispersed. So how do you create that equitable experience for somebody who's in the office versus somebody who's remote? These are challenges. And so there, that's where the trial and error, I think, is coming in. I don't know if that answered your question or not. It's a very specific No, really question. helpful and a good example. I think it's, you know, if anything, Nina, I'm kind of putting in a plug for this group to be sensitive to hearing when it is, you know, I think you put it beautifully. You've got these teams and it sounds a lot to me like experimentation. I think my main plug here is to get folks to, to think about capturing those data that you described across oh, yeah. the teams, et cetera, in a pretty systematic way. And, you know, I would love, as I've said a lot, I'd love to see the HR profession step up and say, we'll be the, the hub for that kind of data gathering, agile experimentation, and we can call it trial and error, you know, however, I think, you know, really trial, like A -B experimental testing, trial. A-B testing, whatever you might want to call it. Exactly, um, exactly. We, we have our people analytics team who go, who looks deeply into all the data that we have available. So again, that's, um, whether that's patterns in the workforce, whether that's patterns in the building, whether yeah. that's, again, um, you know, one thing we're concerned about, remote employees and performance ratings. So we're right now going through our annual review period. You know, we want to make sure that we're looking at promotions rates, performance ratings, that FaceTime element. The, the, there's so many different data points that we're looking at across. And then there's things that we haven't been able to measure yet and need to develop those tools to measure it. Productivity being one of them. Thanks. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you, uh, thanks, John. And I'm glad you brought up that last point. Uh, Pamela in the chat was asking about that, sometimes what we call proximity bias that can creep yeah. in with folks that are, uh, you know, in the office versus remote. Um, and just a plug for those on the call that are I4CP members, um, you have access, if, if you're not aware, to a proximity bias checklist that we created a few months ago and rolled out for for members uh, to really help with that issue of, are you getting more career progression if you're in the office with that FaceTime, as you mentioned, Nina, as opposed to uh, being being remote uh, more days than not? Yeah, and we're, we're looking at across our organization, um, well-being, 
Uh, we're looking at um, feel senses of belonging, um, career progression. Right now, we're not seeing anything around the um, from a diversity perspective as being off, but it is something we're keeping our eye on because these things might develop over time, and and we need to um, not you know keep on top of it. And, and thanks, Zeta, for bringing up this slide on, on well-being, because that is an area I wanted to focus on with you, Nina. I know it's one that you're passionate about. And we've talked a lot about mental and emotional well-being more, more than probably anything else. Uh, we've certainly done a lot of research and work on it. Again, for I4CP members, you have access to this study. Um, and in fact, we just did a new survey on financial well-being, which is uh, an area that hasn't been explored too deeply, in our opinion. But I'd love to just hear a little bit about what LinkedIn has done in this area, Nina. Sure. Well, so I'm going to start with sort of our overall that we've always done, which is we have six wellness tenants that we focus on, thoughts, breathing, hydration, nutrition, movement, and rest. And each year we go very deep into one of those. And they all have a, you know, we, a catchy phrase, quest for rest, keep in mind, um, et cetera. And uh, our, our focus for next year is financial well-being. So we are going one step beyond that and really doing that focus as well. But during this time, you know, um, mental health and well-being is top of mind. We, we wanted to go through and identify the stages of stress that could lead to burnout because, you know, we, we all have everyday stresses in our lives. That's inevitable. That's a part of life. But when they get out of hand, that's when you can lead towards burnout. And that's that's very concerning. And so recognizing that, talking about that, we partnered very closely with our EAP um, to provide workshops over the last couple of years on everything from re-entry anxiety. You know, I, I, I remember when it was like, oh my gosh, I have to get the kids off. I have to commute. Uh, what do I wear? Because I haven't had pants on in a couple of years. Um, how do I interact? I don't even know how to socially act anymore. So it was a workshop on re-entry anxiety, but other things that have come up in the world, social injustice, coping with the stresses of COVID. Um, we also went through and increased our EAP to 25 visits a year. We have super high utilization of our EAP off the charts utilization because there's not an employee in the company who hasn't heard the name of our EAP. We talk about it all the time. Uh, employees post about it uh, internally on on um, on how it's helped them. And so we've had a lot of activity there. And then on the other side of it, you know, I've already mentioned that we do the no meeting day. We do, we had these wellness days. Um, for summertime, for July and August, we did half day Fridays. Uh, again, you know, people are working really hard. We are not seeing productivity suffer, but we definitely want to make sure that people are stepping away and getting that chance to rest and relax. So those are just some of the, some of the ideas that we've done. On my uh, drive in this morning, I, I saw numerous kids waiting for the school bus. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder what that's going to do to well-being. Is that maybe it improves well-being? I don't know. But <laughs> it, it's another added layer of complexity, I think, for, for uh, working families. Yeah. Nina, you, you mentioned the uh, re-entry workshop. And Kelly uh, in the chat was wondering, just say a little bit more maybe about that. that that's yeah. something we haven't heard from from others. Yeah, it was actually created by uh, one of the therapists over at our EAP. So our EAP is Lyra, and uh, they created this workshop. So, you know, we had been asking about it. I think other employers have probably asked about it. And it really just takes you through recognizing those different stages of what you may be facing when you were returning to the office. And it's it's everything I mentioned. It's changing those routines at home. It's um, commuting. You know, that that was something that we hadn't done for a while. It was you know, uh, being concerned about COVID. It's being concerned. Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? What does it mean for my family? What risks am I taking? And then it's also just that we don't have our muscle back on how to socialize. So I know for myself, you know, I've, I've been public speaking quite a bit over my career, being on stages, right? And being in person. Uh, all of a sudden we went to this well, this is a lot easier, you know? And, and so I, I remember um, my boss was talking about speaking at a conference and all of a sudden she had to think about how she moved and what she was wearing and engaging with the audience in such a different way. And it's just kind of a muscle we lost. So so that was some of the, the elements of it. 
I want to give you kudos too for uh, making the pivot. It sounds like your next focus uh, is going to be on financial well-being. As Kevin mentioned, we just did a a pulse survey on that. And I think uh, (laughs) I either read an internal draft or maybe it's already been published. And I think it's a publicly available article that my colleague Carol Morrison has written. Um, Zeta, if you're able in the background to look that up and maybe put the link to that in the chat, I hope it's uh, one of our publicly available pieces. So we do have sort of hot off the presses data on financial well-being uh, that we recently uh, surveyed on. Um, so in, interested, do you, do you have any sense for what that is going to involve? I know it's still coming up as a focus area, but. You know, I um, I have a team member who's extremely passionate about it and she's been chomping at the bit to, to, to really try to help our employees. I More than just going and purchasing something new or having a whole new platform, which very well might be something in our future, it's really talking about what we already offer today and having people take the get the most out of it, having them think about, you know, simple things like 401k, you know, there was, there was a time period when it was your parents who did the 401k. And then, you know, that wasn't for a certain group. And now we have a lot of people who, when we've looked at the survey data, things like retirement plans are actually raising up much, much higher on people's radar. Um, Maybe it's because they saw their parents go through hard times or layoffs or, or whatever might've happened. And so um, we're starting with what we have internally and just making the most of it we you know we've done a total rewards portal um we have lots of things we, we just announced last week uh student loan assistance so being able to give employees five thousand two hundred fifty dollars towards paying down their student loan debt so we have all these little elements we just haven't pulled it together and our hope and dream is that we go out and do a roadshow. So, you know, over the over the years, we've done benefit roadshows, um, focused on different things, families and different. Our next one, we want it to be financial wellness, and we will do this globally. So getting out there and, you know, probably later next year. So, Nina, our, our next survey um, that we're going to be launching here shortly really builds upon the culture work that we've done and what's changed um, since the start of the pandemic with corporate culture. Uh, and how organizations are thinking about that going forward. And I saw Lisa just posted a question around employee experience in a hybrid workplace. Um, I'd love to uh, shift our conversation in the you know, last few minutes to that, but I know we have a quick poll and Zeta, uh, if you could bring up this poll, we wanted to just ask about corporate culture um, and has it changed since the onset of the pandemic? You know, in some cases, I think some companies have said it's been better. Uh, other companies said, no, it's, it's become worse. And we'd love to just hear a little bit about what you feel the culture is, uh, you know, how the culture has evolved at LinkedIn during this time period. Yeah, I think that I think that probably a lot of us know that a healthy culture does evolve over time. We've been on our culture journey for 19 years now from, you know, when we were a startup to hyper growth, we were acquired, um, becoming an established company and each inflection point, there's been an opportunity to ensure that our culture continues to evolve as our company's growing. And we, we define culture as our collective personality. It's who we are and it's who we aspire to be. And then our values are the principles that guide our day-to-day decision-making. So, um, Together, those things for us, it it, uh, arguably could be our competitive advantage. We survey employees who come into the company and ask them why they came. Um, Benefits isn't as big a circle or compensation, which was a surprise. The culture was the biggest, the largest response on why they came to the company. But, you know, we have changed um, over the last couple of years. The world has changed immensely for everyone. So in the face of all that change, as a company, we've you know adapted and evolved as many have, but we we stopped and asked ourselves, do we need to adapt and evolve our culture and values? So it was our CEO, and and he um, he was promoted to be our CEO in in a June of 2020. He really set out to learn, and so he went out and he talked to a whole lot of other CEOs. <clears throat> he also talked to our founders, and what he learned is that your vision. Your, your why for your company is something that should rarely, if ever, change. But your culture and values, those might need to evolve. So he started out by setting um, three guiding principles on how to evaluate our culture. Are our culture and values still applicable in the current environment? <clears throat> Excuse me. Do they help us achieve our, achieve our vision? And last, um, 
Do we cite them frequently and with clarity? Do employees know it? Um, and if they're not being used, if they're not being talked about, then maybe that's something we should be thinking about. So <clears throat> he tapped me on the shoulder, gosh, I think it was last year sometime, to help him listen and learn. And so we then had thousands of conversations with employees, our global leadership team, those trusted advisors I mentioned that are people across all functions, locations, and levels who carved out time in their day to help us go through this whole process. So with, with thousands of pieces of feedback, we learned that in many ways, our culture and values have stood the test of time. It turns out they are more applicable than ever. They do help us achieve our vision, but it turns out that employees aren't able to cite them with clarity. And in some cases they were being misinterpreted. We have to remember that 40% of our workforce joined during the pandemic. So those folks have not lived and breathed in the office, um, the culture and values that is so prevalent. And then everyone else, of course, has been work from home. So we set out to create some clarity around culture and values. And so um, one of the things we did, we used to have um, tenants and we, we created a culture statement. And then what we did with our values is we evaluated each one of them and we enhanced or clarified them where they needed to be. And so, you know, at the end of the day, our culture is not about, you know, the words on a wall or something on your badge or, or even company swag. It's, it's about the thousands of decisions that we make as a team on a daily basis. And we use our culture and values to, as our foundation for that. Wow, I love it. It's uh, fantastic. You're just a quote machine, Nina. I feel like you, <laughs> you oh, have God. so many good, nope. very interesting That's things. That's terrifying. <laughs> Uh, well, we got we got the results back here from our from our poll, and it's a little bit mixed. Um, you know, just adding up the top two categories, over fifty percent said it's become better or some you know much better or somewhat better, but uh, over a third of people said their culture has deteriorated or become much worse, and uh, that's a little concerning. So it's uh, it'll be interesting. We're going to keep asking that question uh, over a variety of uh, of events that we do, and it'll be interesting to see how that one unfolds uh, overall. But I know, Nina, just as we wrap up here, you um, you have a program called Reconnect. And yeah. I just want to make sure we take a little bit of time to talk about this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, I'm very ahead. excited about it. So as I was mentioning, that lift up is wrapping up because we realized that, like I mentioned, we have this whole bunch of people who have never worked in the building. They've been remote since the day they started. <clears throat> and then the rest of us have been dispersed. So we wanted to go in this year focusing on coming together in a forward-looking and fresh way. So we wanted to re-energize our talent and have um, them feel like LinkedIn is still their employer of choice. We wanted to create excitement and connection, uh, at, you know, as we just talked about, to our culture and values. We wanted to make sure people were aligned on how we operate and then continue to have those surprise and delight moments along the way. So we created something called ReConnect. And it's really um, a set of experiences that connect us to each other connect us to why we're here at the company and connect us to how we work. So we kicked it off in April with having our CEO go through our enhanced culture and values. And then in May, we did something really unique. We had an event we called Amplify. It was a 90 minute interactive and highly entertaining event globally um, where we basically re-onboarded every employee. I, I hadn't been through new hire orientation since, you know, for nine years. And so we re-onboarded everybody and you know, went deep into culture and values and mission and vision. And then in June, we in June we hosted another music festival. This was to connect us to each other, but it was virtual, you know, obviously to do it around the world. But we also invited people to come in for viewing parties on the campus. And it turns out from our measurement scores, it was the highest amount of people we've had on our campus on a day since pre-pandemic. So people hmm. did want to come together. And, and in each month, we're going to feature a different thing. So you know, we featured um, turning our focus to lifting up others with random acts of kindness. Coming up, we've got a decision-making framework that we want to go through on how we work. But one thing I do want to mention <clears throat> is in November, we're going to host Reconnect Day. And this is going back to the hybrid and remote. We're going to invite our hybrid teams to come into the office on that day to gather, to come to our company all hands. And then we're going to have a variety of activities and workshops and learning opportunities and more on that day as they come together. <clears throat> For our remote employees, we've created this concept of neighborhoods. 
So let's say there's a whole bunch of employees who have moved to South Florida. Well, they may not be sitting in an office together, but they're in a regional area together. So we have now neighborhood champions. Um, they're going to be bringing people together in a virtual way, having a similar experience, having their own sense of community. And, and it's a pilot. We're going to experiment. And if this goes well, it's something we might replicate. And these experiences are going to continue through May of next year, May of 2023. And that's when we celebrate our 20th birthday celebration. So this is a big body of work that um, there's a whole bunch of us focused on it. It's, it's been pretty fun. Wow, 20th birthday. It's been that long already. I yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I love how I just put in the chat. I love how you've taken a, an incentive approach, a carrot approach to um, drawing people back into the workplace. Uh, I think that's so much healthier than, you know, the stick approach. You know, you must be in the office, you know, these days per week. You know, there's a company I won't name. You all probably read it in the news uh, yesterday or today that has said everybody back in the office five days a week, you know, no exceptions. And I just uh, I just find that a little juvenile, frankly. And uh, I just love the, you know, the more adult and mature approach that LinkedIn has taken. Thank you, Kevin. And again, you know, we're we're learning as we go. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, any final thoughts for uh, for Nina before we wrap yeah, up? Yeah, I, I I wanted to second your point that uh, she's a quote machine. I really love the and and also just a, a great uh, initiative and program leader. Um, the re-onboarding, you're getting a lot of kudos from folks in the chat. I think that's a wonderful right. notion. Um, and just the, your description of culture, um, you know, culture is one of those nebulous terms. And if you ask the person on the street, you'd probably get as many definitions as there are people on the street. Um, when I think of culture, I often think of sort of the, the way we do things here, the way work gets done. And that's certainly an element of it. But I loved your description of collective personality of the organization. I'm, I'm going to steal that and, and add that in as well as, as the more production uh, oriented aspect. So good stuff. Right. Well, thank you both. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Nina, we, we're so thrilled you could join us today. And hopefully we can do more of this with you going forward because you're just a fantastic guest. And uh, I, I really am such a fan of the organization overall. And uh, I can see you know, why the organization has done so well over the years with you having your hand in so many different areas of human capital. Uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's made a huge difference. Takes so thank a village. You. Takes a village. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I encourage you to join us live for these discussions each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific time, so that you can ask questions of our guests and co-hosts and participate in the conversation. Just go to i4cp.com forward slash events to register. We hope you'll keep tuning in as I4CP brings you more great HR executives to discuss how high-performance organizations are leveraging best and next practices in HR. Uh, registration is open for our Next Practices Now conference in late March this year in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, it's an annual tradition that we're super excited to be back to after two years of being virtual only. It is both in-person and virtual, so if you can't make it in Scottsdale, you do have that other option, and there'll be a lot more information coming on the speaker lineup very soon. Thank you, and we hope you have a great and productive week ahead.